continue. Okay. So it's recording. Okay. So, okay. Um, welcome to Behind the Brain podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Robinson. If you're interested in all things brain health and want to learn more about this magnificent organ in your head, then you're in the right place. Uh, this is a show where we interview experts in the field of brain health, whether that's neurology, psychology, integrative and naturopathic medicine, and more. So today, very special episode, the very first one, really excited about it. And today we have with us Dr. Mark Heisig, um, a naturopathic doctor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, and I'll go ahead and let Dr. Dr. Heisig introduce himself to you. But today we're going to dive into the topic of integrative concussion and performance care. So Dr. Heisig, thank you for joining us. And can you tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. First, thank you for having me. I'm flattered and honored that I get to be the first <laughs> uh, kind of guy in the podcast. Um, so yeah, so my name is Dr. Mark Heisig. I'm a naturopathic doctor here in Scottsdale, Arizona. My practice is 98% concussion and post-concussion management. Um, so I have a lot of extra training from the Carrick Institute for Graduate Studies in Functional Neurology, um, concussion specific. I've, I've gone through the course a couple times now with CCMI, Complete Concussion Management. Um, and so, so that's kind of where I, I, my lens is naturopathic, but with a lot of like functional neurology, like how is this body moving and kind of this dynamic moving, moving assessment and kind of communication with the body. Um, my background coming into concussion is I was a, I was a hockey player from the time I was a, a wee little kid uh, all the way through uh, my sophomore year of college. I played with Northern Arizona University in the ACHA and being, I know you can only hear me, but like I'm only 5'8 on a good day. <laughs> so I was, I was never really the biggest guy on the ice, but I played a pretty aggressive style. So I had, um, I had my share of head injuries and, and mismanagement of said head injuries. And so it, I just like being able to kind of give back to that population of, of athletes and continue to feel like I'm in the athletic world myself, even though I'm just getting old and rusty. Um, so yeah, so right now I'm just, I just own my own private practice outside of practice. Uh, I still love hockey. I love dogs almost to a fault. Um, I love being outside, just doing, uh, pretty much just moving my body. Uh, however, however I can, <laughs> um, so yeah, anything else you want to know, go ahead and ask, but I think that's kind of the gist of me. Um, okay. I saw on your website, you posted, you were, you wrote something that was a little bit like, um, referencing, um, house. And so I have to ask regarding the favorite TV show, medical TV show, do you like house or do you like Grey's Anatomy more? If you're, a, I don't know if you watch those. After, so since going through medical school, I don't really like medical shows. <laughs> they're, they're so cheesy. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but no, if I had to pick, I liked, I liked House. He was just kind of, he was arrogant <laughs> and he was brilliant. And I, I just loved the idea that um, he could always diagnose things and, and that like uh, Holmes kind of detective. Yeah, fair. I respect that. I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So concussions are pretty cool. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned that you were a hockey player and you had mismanagement of concussions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really find this to be interesting and critically important because as an athlete, like myself, I've had my own fair share of concussions. And I think that there's this huge kind of 
concussion culture of you just rest, right? You just, you know, you get, you get hit, you rest and you take time to recover. You don't look at your phone. Don't look at bright lights. So I wanted to ask initially, um, well, first of all, could you explain like what a concussion is? And then could you kind of talk about um, some common misconceptions about initial treatment after an acute injury? Yeah, absolutely. So what is a concussion? So a concussion is, you'll also hear it called mild traumatic brain injury. Um, And because of that, just like from the jump, because of that, people will often say like, oh, I had a mild concussion or I had a severe concussion. Um, There's no such thing as mild or severe concussion. There's just concussion. Um, And the interchangeable term that we see in the research or that we see um, kind of in the papers is mild traumatic brain injury. And I think that's where folks get confused is there's mild, moderate and severe traumatic brain injury. And the jump from mild traumatic brain injury to moderate or severe is massive. Um, It's massive. So like when you're looking at a mild traumatic brain injury, we're worried about symptoms a year after the injury. When you're looking at severe traumatic brain injury, we're worried about death and mortality in the year after injury. So there's this huge leap. Um, So concussion is a functional um, and transient, meaning temporary brain injury. Um, And the reason we call it functional is because you're not going to see anything on imaging. So a lot of patients that I see um, will be like, yeah, well, my doctor, we ran the CT or we ran the MRI and there was nothing on injury. So they said I was fine or there was nothing on imaging. So I had a concussion and I should just rest, Um, which are both kind of not (laughs) not great answers to be told. Yeah. So concussion is this functional transient brain injury where your brain, it doesn't bruise. Um, If it bruised, we would see it on imaging. So it doesn't bruise, but your neurons stretch and they stretch just enough not to tear, but to leak a bunch of electrolytes everywhere. And it causes your nerves to just fire like crazy. And so there's this excitatory phase in concussion where uh, you'll, you'll feel disoriented. You'll have the ringing in your ears or you'll feel kind of dizzy or Um, Some people pass out. We see uh, loss of consciousness in less than 10% of concussions. Um, So more than 90% of concussions, you don't pass out. So that's, it's not a requirement for a concussion, Um, but you'll have this excitatory phase. um, And then shortly following that, you've got to put all those electrolytes back. Your brain has to kind of clean up that, that party. And so you'll have this energy deficit. And part of the cruel trick of nature is that there's also this autonomic disruption. And we can talk about that later if you want, but autonomic meaning um, sympathetic, parasympathetic regulation of blood flow gets disrupted. So right when your brain stretches and shears and, and kind of injures itself and you want all the blood flow and you want all the goodies, you have this dysregulation of blood flow and goodies. And so you have this energy deficit that lasts for up to three to four weeks and um, and, and that's kind of concussion. So in those three to four weeks is when we want to be doing the, the good rehab and jumping in and not um, actually resting, <laughs> um, not hibernating, not avoiding screens, not avoiding life, um, because now you're habituating to, uh, to nothing. You're habituating to no movement, to no light, to no sound, to no screens. So then, of course, when you go out back into the real world, you're like, holy crap, the, the sun is really, really bright, or these screens are really, really bright, or those, those sounds are really, really loud. Um, so I, I think I answered the question. I think I, got, I might have gotten on a side tangent here, but rest is not best after concussion. Um, we used to think of it like uh, old research used to think of it like a, any other injury, you would want to rest it. Why would we overwork our brain when it's got this metabolic deficit? Um, but what we see in the research now is that early movement and early sub-symptom threshold, uh, sub-symptom threshold aerobic exercises actually 
probably the best thing we can do um, in terms of concussion recovery. Okay, that makes sense. So when you look at like long term, what does, uh, let's say you do follow like the, you know, kind of well known or like, I guess, out of, out of touch, like little delayed um, expectation that, you know, a concussion comes with rest. What happens if you, you just rest and then you just keep resting because you keep having these symptoms? Um, Does that like totally alter your ability to like heal long term? Um, so no, just to like clear anyone's worries there. No, there's not like, um, this, in, like this finite time period where you treat a concussion or, or it's forever. Um, so a normal concussion timeline, just so folks have that kind of in their heads, um, from impact, like day of impact, day of injury, five to seven, three to five, it kind of varies, but around five days later, you're going to have your symptom peak. Um, meaning symptoms are going to be their worst and it tends to coincide with the biggest energy deficit that you'll have in your concussion. And so three to five, five to seven days after injury, you've got your worst symptoms, but then seven to 10 days after your symptoms should go away in a normal concussion. So in seven to 10 days, your symptoms should go away, which is why we'll see, um, like we saw Patrick Mahomes in seven days was allowed to go play (laughs) football again. Um, but so seven to 10 days, symptoms will go away. And then within 22 to 30, maybe 40 days, that metabolic recovery has happened. Um, and so that's regardless of whether you had symptoms or not. Most people will have their brain energy levels restore, um, within about a month. So what you were asking is like, what if I just rested? So if I just rested, my chances of having prolonged symptoms go way up. Um, if I don't do any rehab, if I don't do like the longer I rest, the longer I can expect to recover and not, (laughs) not in a good way. Um, so the, you're more likely to have prolonged symptoms. Um, but at that 30 day mark, it's not likely because you're dealing with an energy deficit. It's likely because you're dealing with these residual, um, compensations. So like concussion is over by that 30 days. And now you're just dealing with this, this altered autonomics, these, the whiplash injury, the visual vestibular deficits, the metabolic inflammatory stuff. Um, these random, we call them like buckets or I call them buckets of post-concussion. Okay. Um, so you talk a lot about uh, like concussion symptoms. Cause you like clarify what common symptoms are in regard, or I'm sure it's different, you know, for each person, but in general. Yeah. Let me actually put the PCSS here so I don't miss any. So we'll use, it's called the PCSS and it's part of the SCAT-5. So the Sport Concussion Assessment Tool, fifth edition. Um, the PCSS is the post-concussion symptom scale. And so we'll use that acutely to kind of gauge like, okay, if you have more than seven symptoms and the severity of those symptoms is more than 35, it was probably a concussion. Like we're going to do some further exam um, to rule that out. And so within concussion, there's physical, there's cognitive, and there's emotional symptoms. Um, and that's what makes concussion tricky is because there's physical, cognitive, and emotional symptoms. And they're really, they're nonspecific. It's not like one symptom. Like we think chest pain, we think heart attack. There's not like one thing that we think, oh, concussion. Um, so within the physical symptoms, you could be headache, pressure in the head, neck pain, nausea, or vomiting, dizziness, blurry vision, balance problems, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to noise, fatigue, or low energy. Um, within the cognitive symptoms, you might feel slowed down. You might feel like you're in a fog. You might just quote unquote, not feel right. Um, difficulty concentrating, difficulty remembering, confusion, drowsiness. And then the emotional symptoms on the PCSS include like, uh, 
just having more emotions, more emotional irritability, sadness, nervousness. Um, and then we'll throw the sleep qualifier in there of trouble falling asleep. Um, and so that's not a complete list, but that's the list that uh, is most commonly used to kind of grade uh, just kind of entry in of like, was it likely that this person had a concussion? If you have more than seven of those symptoms um, and that severity is, we'll score those symptoms on a scale from zero to six, six being most severe. Um, and so if, if you score, add up the, how, how you scored those and it was more than 35 or so, um, we're thinking a concussion was likely. Okay. So in regard to sports, how important is it to like err on the side of caution if someone gets hit or, um, going right back in for that? Um, there's that thing called a duel. Like if you get hit twice with a concussion, that makes it, I don't know what that is, but the second impact syndrome. Yes. Yes. That's the one. Um, you absolutely always, always, always 100% like any athletes, parents, coaches listening to this always err on caution when in doubt, sit out is like the mantra that we have. So when in doubt, sit out, um, this is not something you want to mess with. Second impact syndrome is very rare. It's kind of questioned in the research. Sometimes it's all, all we really have is like case reports. Um, but it's where if you sustain another injury, another concussion, concussion injury in a short enough time frame, um, the autonomics of it, your blood flow regulation, you'll actually basically just like swell your brain and it's fatal. You'll, you'll have this um, massive change in blood pressure in the brain that can, can literally be fatal. Um, so you don't want to do that. And then when we're looking at like uh, the energy deficit data, so when you get hit, uh, if your brain is operating at 100% energy levels, the day of the concussion, 100% energy levels, three to five, five to seven days later, you're, you're, you have a 20% dip. So your energy levels drop to about 80%. And that's a mild TBI. In a severe TBI, you'll drop about 50%. If you have a repeat concussion when your energy levels are dipped, so you have a repeat concussion seven days from your first injury, you can metabolically match the energy deficit of a severe TBI. Um, and that's just not cool. <laughs> so you yeah. would, so when an athlete's thinking about returning to play, you would, you would much rather be safe. It's much better to sit out for the month, um, come back ready, come back healthy, come back metabolically kind of back to where you were. So if you sustain a second impact, it's almost like starting from clean slate. Okay. Um, so do you, like, do you have any big, like no's or don't do this in concussions, like regarding acute concussions? Um, in terms of like, so, you know, you sustained a concussion, what should I absolutely not do? Yeah. Um, you know, you sustained a concussion, what should you absolutely not do? Don't go back into play that day. <laughs> Don't even go back into play within the first week. Um, the the first thing you should do is go to a concussion literate doctor, a concussion specialist in your area, um, get evaluated, have someone who's going to perform at a minimum, have someone who's going to perform a VOMS, a vestibular ocular motor screen, uh, and a Buffalo concussion treadmill test. Those are kind of the two very cursory, very basic, very introductory tests into like, did I have a concussion and should I do anything about it? Um, and the Buffalo treadmill test, Buffalo concussion treadmill test will actually then be your therapy. Um, so it's, it's kind of not only an assessment, but it's, it's a window into like active recovery. So do not return to play um, without seeing a specialist. Um, on the flip side, do not hibernate, do not rest, do not um, just like be scared of the world. We talk about doing symptom limited activity. 
so if you think about your overall condition on a score from zero to 10, zero is I feel perfect, 10 is I feel god awful. Um, if your symptoms jump more than two points, um, you're gonna stop that activity. So if I had a concussion and I wanna watch Netflix and I'm sitting at like a five out of 10, just baseline, cause I feel crappy and I'm concussed. Um, and I start watching Netflix and I'm kind of like at a seven or an eight, I'm gonna turn off the TV and do something else. Um, but I'm not gonna just not do anything. Um, so don't rest, don't hibernate. On the flip side of that, don't go crush it. Um, we know that people who do like high intensity intervals or jump right back into workouts or do these like long duration events, um, they're also dealing with symptoms and inflammatory loads from the exercise. Um, exercise is stress. It's a good stress, but when you don't have that autonomic regulation of blood flow, when you have these visual vestibular disturbances, um, it's not good to just push through that. So my three big things, I think, because I could probably ramble and make stuff up as I go, but if I, uh, three big things, I would say, do not return to play. See a concussion specialist. Um, do not hibernate, do not rest and wear sunglasses and avoid screens and avoid all life. Um, and on the flip side, don't crush it and ignore that you had a concussion. Okay. Um, you mentioned two basic tests, the Buffalo uh, treadmill test, and I don't remember the first one. Can you talk a little bit about what those tests are and what the assessments involve? Yeah. So I talked about the, the VOMS and the Buffalo concussion treadmill test. Um, and I'll talk about the Buffalo concussion treadmill test first. So that was co-created by Dr. John Letty. He's a concussion researcher out of New York. Um, and basically what they found in their research is that uh, probably the rotational component of concussion uh, affects the, these autonomic centers in your brainstem. And so we see um, that blood flow is dysregulated. Some people have too much blood flow at times. Some people don't have enough at some times. Um, but it's dysregulated. And one of the ways that we can assess that is by having people walk. So this is the treadmill test. You're not running. Um, you'll walk and every minute after, after a little like three minute warm up, every minute after you're just going to increase the incline of the treadmill 1%. And the whole time we've got a heart rate monitor on the patient and we're asking them, hey, your overall condition, condition zero to 10, um, any symptoms, headache, nausea, foggy, dizzy, you know, just like any symptoms. Um, and every minute we're checking the heart rate and we're checking in on this. How, how hard do you feel like you're working? Do you have any symptoms? What's your overall condition? And the point at which their overall condition flares two points or more. So again, they start the treadmill test at a five. The second they hit a seven, we stop the test or the second there's like a new symptom. And what we're looking for is we're saying, oh, that's the heart rate. Like at that heart rate where you started to experience symptoms, that's your threshold. If you go above this, you're working too hard because we know <laughs> that's where you get symptoms. Um, and so what we do from the Buffalo concussion treadmill test then is prescribe exercise at 80 to 90% of that heart rate where your symptoms appeared. And so we'll, you, your symptoms flared. Usually most concussion patients will flare between 50 and 70% of their estimated heart rate maximum. So it's usually a pretty low heart rate, um, right around 120, 130 for most people. Um, somewhere, I would say 120 to 140 for most people. And so say your symptoms flared at 130, we're going to take 130 and we're going to prescribe you exercise at 80 to 90% of that for 20 minutes a day. And then we're going to progress that as, you know, like as symptoms improve and as different things improve, but we give you recommendations for how to progress that. So that's a Buffalo concussion treadmill test. And that's one of the lowest hanging fruit with the biggest impact that I've seen that gets missed, even at concussion clinics, like here in the Valley, we've got, um, I mean, I, won't, I don't want to bash any clinics, but I've seen patients that 
have gone through some very big names, um, very big clinics that have missed just this simple basic test. I throw them on the treadmill here and within a couple of weeks, they're like, yeah, that was it. <laughs> um, that was that was what we needed. Um, and then the other test I mentioned is the VOMS. And so that VOMS, V-O-M-S, the vestibular ocular motor screen. And so that's a test where we'll get your baseline symptoms. We'll look at headache, nausea, fogginess, and dizziness. And in that moment before the test, we'll say, hey, zero to 10. There's a, there's a whole bunch of scales in concussion. <laughs> um, we'll say, hey, zero to 10. Uh, what's your headache right now? What's your nausea right now? What's your dizziness right now? What's your fogginess right now? And then we'll run you through different ocular motor screens. So we'll run you through smooth pursuits where we have you follow our fingers side to side and then up and down. And we'll say, hey, headache, nausea, foggy, dizzy, scale it. And then we'll do saccades, which are fast eye movements. So picture jumping, like following a tennis match and you're kind of jumping between players or jumping between the tennis balls. Um, so I'll hold my thumbs up and I'll say, jump back and forth 10 times. Cool. Headache, nausea, foggy, dizzy, how is it? And we'll do that vertically. We'll also look at your VOR, your vestibular ocular reflex. Um, and so that's basically your ability to keep your eyes on a target while your head moves. Um, so I'll hold up my thumb and I'll have them shake their head no um, while, while keeping their eyes on my, my thumb. And we'll do that at right around 180 beats per minute. So you're clipping. <laughs> and afterwards, that's usually the point in the test where um, Patients, if they didn't have symptoms with pursuits or saccades, they'll usually have it with the, the VOR. So we'll do that in a no-no pattern. We'll check symptoms. We'll do that in a yes-yes pattern. We'll check symptoms. And then we'll look at something called visual motion sensitivity, where it's your head and your eyes and kind of your body moving together, where we'll rotate the whole body um, side to side 10 times while you're looking at your thumbs. Um, and again, we'll check symptoms after that. So that's the VOMS. We'll also add near-point conversions, so how close can something get to your eyes before things go double. And we'll add accommodations. So how close can something get to one eye before it gets blurry? And those taken together. So if you have a symptom flare in any one of those, it's actually a 50-50 shot that you had a concussion. So it's not a useful test for diagnosing concussion. It's a really useful test for ruling out a concussion. Um, so we've got like a 92% uh, sensitivity and like a 96% negative predictive value. Um, basically saying like greater than 90% chance that if you don't have a symptom flare during the VOMS, you didn't have a concussion. Um, and so that's why it's a really useful test. Like run a VOMS on someone. If they don't have symptoms, they probably didn't have a concussion. Let's treat whatever else is going on. And if they do have symptoms, cool. Let's throw them on the treadmill, get a Buffalo concussion treadmill test and start the therapy process. Because otherwise you're missing this huge window of opportunity for early care. Um, if, I can actually make a, if I can actually make a note on early care... Yeah. Uh, there was a study looking at pediatric patients who um, they just looked at the time to clinic. So from injury, how soon did they get to the clinic? Um, kids that got to the clinic within four days of their injury recovered in about three to four weeks. Um, kids that got there eight days after their injury recovered in like two months. Oh, wow. Um, there was actually, I think it was more than that. There was like a 56, 57 day difference between who got there early and who got there late. Um, so the sooner you can get to care, you're literally shaving up to two months off of your recovery. Wow. That's, I did not know that. Um, so that's really interesting because, um, I guess I'll kind of agree with you a bit there. I've seen like some concussion clinics around where I am and, uh, I've never even heard of that Buffalo treadmill test before. Um, yeah. and so, how do you think, uh, or what is your opinion on, um, you know, the typical like balance and I know that all of that probably plays in, but they do like balance tests and then you recite things backwards. And, um, 
are those just as uh, measures for over time on the healing process or are those good like diagnostic tests? Those are also good diagnostic tests. Um, okay. So those will be like a part of the um, uh, impact testing is like neurocognitive testing. Um, the best is one of the balance error scoring system. Uh, they're, they're just different things to see like which, which parameters are messed up after concussion. Like I use an app called EQ Active or like EQ Brain Performance. And so we look at immediate memory, delayed memory, working memory, attention, executive function. It's all kind of this piece to the puzzle. So like if someone's making a diagnosis of concussion on just the bombs, they're missing the boat. If they're making it on just the Buffalo concussion treadmill test, they're missing the boat. Um, if they're making it on just those balanced neurocognitive tests, they're also missing the boat. Concussion is, it's this, I don't want to say it's a diagnosis of exclusion, but it's a very clinical diagnosis. You have to have the mechanism of injury. You have to have the symptoms and you have to have physical findings that can't be explained by like drugs, alcohol, psychiatric disease, something else. Um, so you want this whole picture, especially when you're talking about athletic populations, you ideally want reaction time. You want balance with the center of pressure versus a center of mass. You want um, that autonomic tolerance and that exercise tolerance. You want the vestibular function to be there. Um, so uh, I forget what the initial question was, but you want this kind of integrative, dynamic, like multimodal assessment to make your return to play decisions, to make your diagnosis, because um, that's when you're going to get, that's when you're going to be able to provide and receive the most complete care. Yeah. Um, so I guess the next question I have is uh, when you say the, I think that's really interesting, actually. Um, I don't know. I might have to look into some studies about the early care, because I think that's crazy how like just a few days can make such a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say you have someone who is kind of an avoidance of the fact that maybe they had a concussion and they never really seek out treatment, but then like they later have these persistent symptoms. Like what would you, is it ever too late to treat a concussion? Or um, obviously you were saying like at some point the concussion isn't there and it's just the symptoms. Yeah. So what would you say to like, I guess, long haul, I don't know if that's a proper term, but um, symptoms of concussion. Um, one of the things I think uh, that people will, I guess let me answer it this way. So uh, a lot of people will say like, oh, I had concussions in high school and now symptoms showed up. Um, and it was 10 years, 12 years, 20 years in between. I don't know. Like I can't ethically say that that was related to your concussion. But when we're talking about post-concussion or persistent concussion symptoms, post-concussion syndrome, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you had a concussion, had symptoms, and then they never went away, like that's persistent concussion symptoms. And, and we can, we can assess that as such. Um, but I'll have folks where I see it on social media, folks will comment or send me messages where they're like, um, I had three concussions in high school. I never had problems. And now I can't balance when I get out of the shower. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. You'd have to come into my office and we'd have to <laughs> yeah. uh, assess that separately. I can't link that to concussion. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that answered the question, but um, typically if you had injury, had symptoms and they never went away, it's very easily called PCS and, and we can assess that as PCS. Um, if you had concussions, had years without it, and now you have symptoms, we got to look at a lot of different things. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what do you do or what's like a normal, again, this is a person to person concussion to concussion basis. So I know it's a hard question to ask, but what's like a normal 
treatment, uh, rehab. I like the word like rehab because, um, you know, I, I don't like the word rest and that's like mm-hmm. all you hear about. So how, what's like a good, um, if you reframe that and you talk about rehab for acute concussions, like what does that look like? Um, the big thing. So like the two staples that I always have everyone do, um, is some sort of subsymptom threshold exercise. So whether there's another thing that we can use that's not the Buffalo concussion treadmill test, doesn't have as much research as the Buffalo concussion treadmill test, but um, you can listen for, it's called the Turk murmur. Um, so a transient exertion related carotid murmur. And so you listen to the carotid and normally when we're exercising, once we hit a certain intensity, we don't want to just like flood the brain <laughs> now that blood pressure and heart rate is up. So normally your carotids will hit this point where they kind of constrict a little bit and you'll be able to hear that um, where your, your blood's just kind of being regulated. And in a non-concussed person, we see that that happens at around 150 beats per minute. And in a concussed patient, we see it happens around 120 beats per minute. Um, and that's even before symptoms will show up. So that's kind of a cool marker because we can, we don't have to wait for symptoms. We can kind of say, oh, when are you aberrantly constricting your carotid in response to exercise? But we'll, so sub-symptom threshold aerobic activity. I want, I want the autonomics rehabbed, exercise improves. We've got research largely in, in young white men, um, but we've got, got research saying that within like 10 days of acute concussion, we can improve mood symptoms, physical symptoms, cognitive symptoms, sleep symptoms. Um, and we're improving, like, especially if they're an athlete, you're, you're minimizing that deconditioning. Um, so I, I love the aerobic exercise. And then I also really, really love paced breathing. Um, paced breathing uh, to improve heart rate variability, to improve... Um, cerebral blood flow to minimize feelings of anxiety, depression, um, stress just related to the injury. Um, so I'll have people breathe in for five seconds, breathe out for five seconds. And depending on kind of what their history is, I have some folks that come into their concussion with a history of PTSD or anxiety, depression um, that was already being managed before the concussion. Um, and so I'll have them do the pace breathing a little bit longer, a little bit more often. Um, and I'll have my athletes do a minimum of like 10 minutes twice a day for pace breathing. So that's kind of that. And then those are kind of the cookie cutter. And then everything else after that is very specific to the patient in terms of what we're doing for visual rehab, vestibular rehab, um, kind of balance proprioceptive type stuff, um, depending on their needs as an athlete or their needs just as a person trying to get home and tolerate the grandkids or <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever they need. Uh, for their environment. That's kind of what we're looking to rehab. Nice. Okay. Um, so do you, when you look at athletes in different sports, so like, for example, hockey or football, where, you know, tackling is pretty constant and like um, contact with the head is probably more frequent than, I don't know, like figure skating, for example, or something like that. Um, are you more cautious or like when you have like an athlete who let's say plays football, you know, like Patrick Mahomes, um, like, is that recovery process and return to play? Is it, do you keep in mind that they're in a contact sport that's likely to get more head injuries? Absolutely. Um, and the way that we'll keep that in check is like, uh, I'm not using symptoms as a proxy for return to play. I don't care how good you feel. I want you to perform. Um, So we need to know that autonomic tolerance is there. Like you have to be able to pass that Buffalo concussion treadmill test at a minimum. Um, But we also have, like we have research that reaction time is depressed after concussion 21 to 59 days. Um, 
so it's up three weeks to two months that your reaction time is altered. Um, and so I want to see your reaction time back and improved. I want to know that you can stand with your eyes closed on a foam pad and not fall over. Like, I want to know that you can stand on one leg. I want, uh, I want to know that you can move your head and your body independent of each other, uh, cervical dissociation. So there's, um, there's a lot of like standard concussion stuff, but I, I'll nitpick it a little bit harder in terms of, uh, vestibular function, proprioception, reaction time in athletes. Cause if you can't, it doesn't matter how strong your neck is. It doesn't matter how, if you can't react in time, so what? <laughs> um, so I, I, I do work a lot more on kind of functional performance parameters with these athletes. Um, what's your stance on like prehab for concussions and strengthening your neck? Just cause you said that it kind of made me think of that. Cause I've heard about that before. Yeah, there's, I've seen a lot of posts on it recently. Um, and there's some products out for it. Um, there's going to be like a minimum level of strength required to just create some stiffness in your neck. Um, there was one study that was like for every pound of neck strength you had, there's like a 4% decrease risk of concussion. But what we found is so like, when you look at research, um, this is kind of sad, but they took cats and they just stabilized their heads <laughs> and they would swing little, little weights at the cats. What they found is if you had this perfectly stiff container and your head didn't move at all, you could not concuss the cat. Um, you, I think you would theoretically get to the point where you fracture the skull and create like a severe traumatic brain injury, but you can't concuss and create a mild traumatic brain injury because there's nothing to accelerate or decelerate when there's perfect stiffness. Interesting. So when we look at concussion research, like, uh, they've done this in hockey players, they've done this in various athletes, neck diameter, neck muscle diameter, neck, uh, strength pre and during season didn't correlate with concussion risk at all. What we see is it's got to be your reaction and how quickly you can create the stiffness. So you can have the world's thickest, strongest neck. And if you don't see it coming and you're not ready for it, you're still going to get that acceleration deceleration. Oh, yeah, uh, sense. You'll reach, I've, I don't know the times off the top of my head, but so for a concussion to occur, you need a certain number, a uh, certain torsional, like rotational acceleration and a linear acceleration. Um, to kind of meet that threshold, the, the peak threshold of concussive forces, concussive forces are hit faster than your muscles can even contract. Um, so you have to be ready. It doesn't matter how strong you are. Yeah. So in terms of prehab university of Cincinnati and Dr. I believe it's Joseph Clark, but Dr. Clark, he's a neurologist for university of Cincinnati, their football team and their, their sports teams, uh, put together vision training programs. Um, so they'd see images flashed on the screen and they had to see like, what color was that Jersey? What, what number was it? Who was holding the ball? And it's literally like a millisecond of a photo. Um, and they're doing things with strobe glasses and different visual training. They saw concussion numbers decrease without having sacks, tackles, anything else decrease. So really it, it argues that the preparedness and the reaction time and the visual perception of the field and your proprioception of your body is more important than strength. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. Well, I might have to check that out, too. <laughs> um, so uh, there were a few things on your blog that I thought were pretty interesting and I wanted to just ask you about. Um, and so one of them, well, I don't know if it's on your blog, but um, what role does supplementation play in concussion recovery um, from that perspective? Uh, it can be super, super helpful. Um, 
So we see like, if you were to categorize the pathophysiology of concussion into like three buckets, your neurons stretch and they shear. You've got this energy deficit and um, blood flow deficit. And then you're also dealing with this excitotoxicity and inflammation. So if there's three like metabolic targets, you would want to provide some structural support. You would want to provide some energy support and you'd want to provide some like antioxidant inflammatory support. Um, so there's a lot of things that I like to use. The really simple one that I think gets overlooked in a lot of brain formulas and concussion formulas is the energy component. Um, everyone kind of forgets that like, we'll provide mitochondrial support, but like the mitochondria, at least for the first week is plugged with calcium. Um, so you can, you can provide it, but like you would much, you'd, I have seen much more benefit clinically to provide easy, quote unquote, easy energy. Um, so providing folks with things like exogenous ketones, so like beta hydroxybutyrate or um, creatine monohydrate, just simple creatine is really, really useful because it's quick, clean energy for the body um, that has a lot of, uh, a lot more, the ketones have a lot more research in like severe TBI, but like uh, there's kind of position statements and stuff coming out on creatine being like a viable prevention and treatment measure in mild traumatic brain injury. Um, so yeah, so we look at energy deficit, we look at inflammatory support, um, you can look at structural support, things like uh, fish oil, <laughs> really, really simple, but yeah. um, it's the structural components of your brain. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, so kind of interested in this one, actually. Um, how do cannabis, alcohol, and cigarettes impact concussion recovery? Um, so there's two ways to look at this. <laughs> One is what the research says and one is logically. Okay. Uh, so, so there was one study uh, that I could find on the topic where they would, they looked at people who like used before their concussion, um, cigarettes, cannabis or alcohol during their concussion and after their concussion. Um, and what they found is that there was no difference uh, whether you, whether you smoked, whether you drank, whether you uh, used uh, marijuana, didn't matter. Um, but like kind of logically, uh, we, one of the things I won't recommend it for folks. <laughs> um, so I don't recommend that you smoke cigarettes. I don't recommend that you, uh, drink alcohol through your recovery. That's one of my, like, I give like a little handout to my acute concussion patients. Cause we, we do a lot and talk about a lot and you're concussed. So it's kind of hard to keep up. Um, so I'll give a, I'll give a little handout, uh, and in my dietary instructions, I say for at least two weeks, we're avoiding alcohol. Um, cause you, we know we have research that, um, alcohol is just not good for the gut. It's not good for the heart. It's not good for the brain. So even though it may not acutely impact your recovery, just like as a doctor, I'm not going to encourage it. Yeah. <laughs> we know the same with cigarettes. Um, cannabis is going to prove to be interesting, um, because we're, when you look at different extracts of like CBD and CBD THC ratios, like, um, there might be some benefit. So right now it, uh, it doesn't help. I wouldn't say go smoke. Um, but as we learn more about the endocannabinoid system, and as we learn more about that, like that one might be neutral to beneficial in, in concussion. We're not, we're not totally sure yet. Huh. That's actually surprising that there is no difference. Yeah. I like, I feel like you would assume that obviously like you wouldn't, that would, uh, probably make it more worse but yeah there's some there's some research that uh suggests i forget what they call it 
that's like a name for it, but uh, just kind of being floppy and being drunk may have yeah. been protective against severe TBI. What? Uh, just because you're just and you're not oh. like, really, uh, I know people could only hear that, but um, you're, you're just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that that actually pans out. I've read different conflicting things in the research, but some, some ideas suggest that the alcohol actually suppresses and kind of um, mitigates some of the excitotoxicity of the NMDA receptors um, in your neurons. So there, I won't, I won't say there's benefit to alcohol, uh, but we, we know that alcohol and cigarettes are otherwise not, not great for you. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I think, I mean, there's always more to talk about with concussions and um, there's, I don't know if there's time, but um, if you want to talk about PCS, you can, if you have things to do, totally fine. But um, yeah, just don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's drop post-concussion really quick. Cause that's what a lot of people, that's how a lot of people find concussion info is because they've been dealing with symptoms forever and ever. Yeah. Um, so post-concussion syndrome, we're trying to like in the research call it persistent concussion symptoms um, PCS. Um, basically it's when like diagnostically it's when your symptoms last longer than two weeks if you're an adult or longer than 30 days if you're a kid. Um, and at that point, um, we're basically like concussion is quote unquote over, uh, that metabolic deficit is probably gone if you're at 30 days, but there's something keeping your symptoms around. And so we, I call them buckets, but there's five things that the research kind of talks about for causing or being behind persistent concussion symptoms. Um, I call them buckets because I say, Hey, we got to figure out, I tell my patients, like, we got to figure out which buckets you're holding and why they're so heavy so that we can dump some stuff out or just empty them completely. Um, so there's an autonomic physiologic bucket that goes back to that blood flow. And so we're going to do a treadmill test. Anyway, the Buffalo concussion treadmill test was originally studied in post-concussion patients before it was ever used in acute patients. Um, there's a metabolic hormonal bucket. Um, so you might be dealing with persistent neuroinflammation. So we know that uh, after a head injury within six to eight hours, your blood brain barrier kind of changes. It gets a little bit leaky and your gut gets a little bit leaky. Um, and so if any inflammatory uh, gunk from your gut, we call it lipopolysaccharide LPS is this inflammatory molecule that comes off of gut bacteria. Uh, a single LPS exposure to one of the microglia in your brain can cause that microglia to be active and inflammatory for the next 10 months. Um, and so you might see that this inflammation up here perpetuates the inflammation in your gut, which perpetuates the inflammation in your brain. Um, so we, we look at the gut. Um, you can also look at the hormones because your pituitary gland sits right kind of under the brain in that, in that cella tersica. And as that acceleration deceleration happens, we might see some pituitary hormone deficits. Um, so you got to look at that. We've got to look at the cervical spine. You cannot have acceleration deceleration without your neck whipping around. Um, and when you're looking at the forces, you actually cannot sustain concussion without also sustaining whiplash. Um, so a concussion happens between 70 to 120 G's of force and whiplash occurs around four to five G's of force. Um, so you always, always got to look at the spine. You've got to look at visual vestibular function. Um, and then you've also got to consider psychological, mental, emotional health, um, depression, anxiety, PTSD matters a ton because just that alone can mimic concussion symptoms independent of concussion. Um, so you've got to look at mental health, visual vestibular function, cervical spine function, metabolic, hormonal health, um, and your autonomic physiologic health. 
Um, and so basically the assessment is, hey, which buckets are the biggest and the most full and how can we dump out some of that water or some of that sand? Um, and that is kind of the briefest way that I can describe PCS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Um, is there anything that you would say to like any sort of like athletes or normal person who suffers a concussion that you haven't already said that you want the opportunity to say? Um, yeah, don't feel like you have to be tough. Like don't, um, don't stick it out. Like sports the thing that I didn't say that is so important is sports are so temporary. Um, even if you go professional and you have a long professional career, you're going to retire with more of your life left than more of your life lives. <laughs> um, so sports are, sports are so, so temporary and your brain is forever. You, you live with it until you die. And so, um, you just want to take care of that. You don't want to risk it. I'm glad you said that. That's really important. <laughs> um, okay. Well, um, I'm just going to highlight on a little bit of the key takeaways that I feel like are important to share. Although I think all of it is important to share, but um, so just rounding back on what we talked about before, uh, there's no mild or severe concussion. There's just a concussion and it needs to be treated. Um, when in doubt, whether you're an athlete, anyone, uh, err on the side of caution and don't go back to getting, um, to risk, um, the double impact, second impact syndrome, um, just not worth it. Um, and then when, if you suspect a concussion, don't rest or hibernate, (laughs) I like the hibernate where, because I feel like that's what people encourage you to do. Um, see a concussion special specialist and don't go super hard on a workout. Don't try and max or PR. <laughs> That's probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, early intervention and treatment is critical in limiting, uh, the time your healing time. Um, and when you're healing from a concussion, whether that's an acute concussion, uh, sub symptom threshold exercise is important. And so is paced breathing. Um, and then lastly, obviously brains are important, so don't take them for granted and don't, you know, try to go back or like you said, there's sports are not the majority of your life. So, and I've totally been there where it feels like it is, but you know, it's looking back on it, looking back on it now. I'm like that attitude as like an athlete where you just want to get back to your team and get back playing. It's like, it's almost like not a healthy attitude to have about Mm -hmm. your brain. So um to anyone listening I hope you recognize that sooner than (laughs) I did but um yeah so if you want to learn more check out more information um I'll upload a few websites into the episode description um and definitely check out Dr. Heisig especially if you're in Arizona um pretty cool so yeah thank you for listening and then thank you for coming on today I appreciate you talking it was really fun really interesting to learn about um so yeah awesome Um, thank you so much for having me i appreciate uh being invited on yeah um okay um come listen next time on our next uh episode that is to be determined